Part Three, Chapter Eight, A Victory, An Island Tale, by Joseph Conrad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. Heyst walked away slowly. There was still no light in his bungalow, and he thought that perhaps it was just as well. By this time, he was much less perturbed. Wang had preceded him with the lantern, as if in a hurry to get away from the two white men and their hairy attendant. The light was not dancing along any more. It was standing perfectly still by the steps of the veranda. Heyst, glancing back casually, saw behind him still another light, the light of the stranger's open fire. A black, uncouth form, stooping over it monstrously, staggered away into the outlying shadows. The kettle had boiled, probably. With that weird vision of something questionably human impressed upon his senses, Heyst moved on a pace or two. What could the people be who had such a creature for their familiar attendant? He stopped. The vague apprehension of a distant future, in which he saw Lena unavoidably separated from him by profound and subtle differences, the skeptical carelessness which had accompanied every one of his attempts at action, like a secret reserve of his soul, fell away from him. He no longer belonged to himself. There was a call far more imperious and august. He came up to the bungalow, and at the very limit of the lantern's light, on the top step, he saw her feet in the bottom part of her dress. The rest of her person was suggested dimly, as high as her waist. She sat on a chair, and the gloom of the low eaves descended upon her head and shoulders. She didn't stir. "'You haven't gone to sleep here?' he asked. "'Oh, no. I was waiting for you, in the dark.' Heist, on the top step, leaned against a wooden pillar, after moving the lantern to one side. "'I've been thinking that it's just as well you had no light. But wasn't it dull for you to sit in the dark?' I don't need a light to think of you. Her charming voice gave a value to this banal answer, which had also the merit of truth. Heist laughed a little, and said that he had had a curious experience. She made no remark. He tried to figure to himself the outlines of her easy pose. A spot of dim light here and there hinted at the unfailing grace of attitude, which was one of her natural possessions. She had thought of him, but not in connection with the strangers. She had admired him from the first. She had been attracted by his warm voice, his gentle eye, but she had felt him too wonderfully difficult to know. He had given to life a savor, a movement, a promise mingled with menaces, which she had not suspected were to be found in it, or at any rate, not by a girl wedded to misery as she was. She said to herself that she must not be irritated because he seemed too self-contained, and as if shut up in a world of his own. When he took her in his arms, she felt that his embrace had a great and compelling force, that he was moved deeply, and that perhaps would not get tired of her so very soon. She thought that he had opened to her the feelings of delicate joy, that the very uneasiness he caused her was delicious in its sadness and that she would try to hold him as long as she could, till her fainting arms, her sinking soul, could cling to him no more. Wang's not here, of course, 
Heist said suddenly. She answered as if in her sleep. He put this light down here without stopping and ran. Ran, did he? Hmm. Well, it's considerably later than his usual time to go home to his Alfuro wife. But to be seen running is a sort of degradation for Wang, who has mastered the art of vanishing. Do you think he was startled out of his perfection by something? Why should he be startled? Her voice remained dreamy, a little uncertain. I have been startled, Heist said. She was not listening to him. The lantern at their feet threw the shadows of her face upward. Her eyes glistened, as if frightened and attentive, above a lighted chin and a very white throat. Upon my word, mused Heist, now that I don't see them, I can hardly believe that those fellows exist. And what about me? she asked, so swiftly that he made a movement like somebody pounced upon from an ambush. When you don't see me, do you believe that I exist? Exist? Most charmingly. My dear Lena, you don't know your own advantages. Why, your voice alone would be enough to make you unforgettable. Oh, I didn't mean forgetting in that way. I dare say if I were to die you would remember me right enough. And what good would that be to anybody? It's while I'm alive that I want. I stood by her chair, a stalwart figure, imperfectly lighted, the broad shoulders, the martial face, that was like a disguise of his disarmed soul, were lost in the gloom above the plane of light in which his feet were planted. He suffered from a trouble with which she had nothing to do. She had no general conception of the conditions of the existence he had offered to her. Drawn into its peculiar stagnation, she remained unrelated to it because of her ignorance. For instance, she could never perceive the prodigious improbability of the arrival of that boat. She did not seem to be thinking of it. Perhaps she had already forgotten the fact herself. And Heist resolved suddenly to say nothing more of it. It was not that he shrank from alarming her. Not feeling anything definite himself, he could not imagine a precise effect being produced on her by any amount of explanation. There is a quality in events which is apprehended differently by different minds, or even by the same mind at different times. Any man, living it all consciously, knows that embarrassing truth. Heist was aware that this visit could bode nothing pleasant. In his present sour temper towards all mankind, he looked upon it as a visitation of a particularly offensive kind. He glanced along the veranda in the direction of the other bungalow. The fire of sticks in front of it had gone out. No faint glow of embers, not the slightest thread of light in that direction, hinted at the presence of the strangers. The darker shapes in the obscurity, the dead silence, betrayed nothing of that strange intrusion. The peace of Samburan asserted itself as on any other night. Everything was as before, except Heist became aware of it suddenly, that for a whole minute, perhaps, with his hand on the back of the girl's chair and within a foot of her person, he had lost the sense of her existence for the first time since he had brought her over to share this invincible, this undefiled peace. He picked up the lantern, and the act made a silent stir all along the veranda. 
a spoke of shadow swung swiftly across her face, and the strong light rested on the immobility of her features, as of a woman looking at a vision. Her eyes were still, her lips serious. Her dress, open at the neck, stirred slightly to her even breathing. "'We had better go in, Lena,' suggested Heist, very low, as if breaking a spell cautiously. She rose without a word. Heist followed her indoors. As they passed through the living room, he left the lantern burning on the center table. End chapter 8